We appreciate very much the presence of each one here this evening. We'd like to welcome you uh, to this Assembly of the Lord's House. Again, I'm very glad to be able to be here, and I appreciate another opportunity to be your speaker. Now, I want to tell you right up front, I know how these uh, early afternoon services are. Uh, you're probably sitting out there, some of you already started smiling. Uh, you've got your belly full, and this might be the time when you like to get a nap. Well, if that happens to be the case, I just want to tell you something. I can see you. I can see everybody here. And if you desert me and go off into la-la land and forget about what we're doing, I'm not going to be very happy about it. So stay with us just for a little while because I have something that I hope will be worth your attention. We're going to talk about a lesson. I've written a title up here on the board called Satan's Devices. First of all, I'd like for you to understand that Satan's real. He is just as real as the fact that I'm standing here before you right now. Seems like that our world has tried to forget about the devil, but the Bible warns us that there is a very real creature, sinisters can possibly be, that the Bible refers to with several different names. I'd like to read his introduction, 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, and I'll read verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Now the encouragement is, we dare not, dare not allow the devil to get advantage of us. And that's what he's trying to do. So we want to talk about that. And I find that this is something, again, that you and I need to know about. I was sitting in the dentist's office a few months ago, and there was a pile of old magazines over the corner, and I was trying to find something to read, and I'm shuffling down through them. And I happened to notice something, a Newsweek magazine, and on the cover it said, uh, uh, the, uh, it gave us the idea that there was uh, no, res uh, no respect given to the devil. And I began to look at that and I thought, now what on this earth would a magazine like that have an article about the devil in it? So I turned over there and read, sure enough, uh, it, it said to the idea uh, told me uh, that there was not a such, no, no such thing as the devil. Uh, this is written by a man who was a teacher at Notre Dame University. Now, Notre Dame, you know, is a Catholic university. And this fella, who was a teacher there, he said, uh, the idea of the devil, or the idea of uh, the Satan, is just a personification of everything which is evil. In other words, you just take everything that's evil, and you pile it up, and you call it the devil. Now, don't you know the devil loves that? He's allowed to go about his wicked business uh, not having to be concerned about anybody worrying about him because he's just a personification of evil. He is not real. He is nothing that you have to be interested in. He is the arch deceiver without being the arch, I guess you could say. Nobody's watching. Nobody's listening. Well, I got to thinking about that. You know, the Bible certainly doesn't give us that impression of the devil. As a matter of fact, the Bible gives us an entirely different idea about the devil. And I want to read it to you. I'm going over to 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. And I want to read a verse that I've uh, thought was very interesting for many years. The Bible says down at verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary... I can't go any further without thinking about that for a minute. You know what an adversary is. Now, I hope this scares everybody here. 
I doubt if it does anymore because we've seen too many Texas chainsaw murders. But I hope you'll still be concerned about this. Our adversary. You know what an adversary is? It is an opponent. It is someone who is in opposition to us. And in spite of myself, I have to do this. What do we got? We got a very real devil who is our adversary. He is in opposition to us. He's doing all he possibly can to cause us to be lost. Let's read a little bit further right there. He says our adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion. Uh, you folks here in Columbia, Missouri, have y'all had any lion trouble lately? Any roaring lions walking up down the street? Down in Ada, Oklahoma, we would certainly know if we were having any lion trouble. We don't have any lion trouble either. And you know, because of that, I think sometimes we don't get the point. Uh, here we find the Apostle Peter says, the devil is as a roaring lion. One afternoon, I was sitting in somebody's um, living room and they had the TV on and they were talking about lions over in Africa and they were showing with a camera all this saying out in Africa and here's this great big bunch of lions, a pride of lions they call them and they were laying up in the shade. Some of them, the adult lions, were laying up on their back with all four feet up in the air. Little kitten lions, they're rolling and wrestling around out there just like a bunch of house cats and everything's just as peaceful as it can be. All those little creatures a little antelope and such as that. They're wandering around. Nobody is interested about being concerned. Some of those little critters, they're walking right in there among the lions and everybody's going about his business. And then all of a sudden, just like he rang the dinner bell, one of those lions got up and she begins to rumble around her chest. Uh, she begins to roar around. And the commentator who was uh, telling us about this scene says, now watch what happens. And sure, th sure enough, everybody got excited. Some of those little creatures are spring loaded that can stand where I am and jump out the front door. They begin to jump around like that. They're excited. What's happening? What is happening? The lion gets up and starts roaring. All the rest of the creatures around there, they're excited too. And here's the reason. They understood that when the lion began to roar, she's ready to go out and kill something to eat. And that's what gets them excited. He says that's the way the devil is. The devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then the commentator said exactly what I think Peter had in mind. Said the lion is most likely to get the sick ones. It is most likely to get the weak ones. It is most likely to get the young ones. It is most likely to get the ones who stray too far away from the rest of the herd. You know, that's what Peter's telling us. You know who he's going to get? The sick ones, the weak ones, the young ones, and those who get away from where they ought to be. That's what the devil's going to do. And you want to remember that because you don't want one of those categories. The devil is going to get you if you don't watch out. I find for them, the Bible speaks about the devil in Jeremiah the 5th chapter verse 26. For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap. They catch men. Do you know about verses like that? Do you know there's this verse right here in Jeremiah 5 verse 26 that says that we have wicked men? Their purpose is to set snares, to set traps, to catch men. That's us. Who is the instigator of all of this? The devil. How does he do this? Through wicked men. What do they do? They set snares. 
I don't know if you're acquainted with snares. Snares are an age-old trap that's been used almost since the beginning of time. Back in Bible days, they made snares out of a twine of some kind or twisted leather. Uh, it is, you, you just made a string and you put a loop in it and you hung this loop out over a trail where you hoped some little critter would come walking by and you tied the other end to a tree. And here he comes, he's minding his own business. He gets his head in the loop in the snare and he doesn't know he's got a snare around his neck. He just keeps walking and he gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And by the time he knows it, it's too late and he makes a lunge and he's caught. Now today, trappers don't use leather, twi leather or twine. They use aircraft cable. I think that's significant. What did the devil do? Kind of primitive back in the old days. Now he's moved this snare on up. Now he's using stainless steel twisted together that they use to tie parts on aircraft. And here's the way it works. Uh, this, uh, this steel snare, uh, it's got a little bitty uh, trap on it about that long is the best way I know to describe it and one, you tie one end to the one end of that and stick the other one through a slot and here's what happens you hang that piece of aircraft cable down over the trail here comes some creature you want to catch he sticks his neck through the snare and he just keeps walking now here's the, here's the situation the snare will tighten up but it won't loosen off it won't turn loose so he keeps going and the minute he feels the snare and he hits it and it sucks up on his throat and chokes the life out of him. What's that? That's how the devil works. And the snare is all the enticements that he puts out there in front of us and we got our nose through it and we just keep walking by the time we realize what it is, it's too late. And that's the way the devil works. He wants to ensnare us and cause us to be lost. And again, I've said this once already, the devil will get you if you don't watch out. Now I'd like to go into this a little more detail. I want to talk about some of his devices and I'm going to write them over here so we can keep it in mind. The first idea is uh, that the devil, he does not want you to be a theist. I'm using that word for a special purpose. Um, the idea of being a theist, and I find this is something, again, that uh, we all need to understand about this. Uh, it is uh, a person who is a God believer. What, what is the devil? He does not want you to be a theist. He doesn't want you to be a believer in God. I find this is not a new ploy that the devil uses. As a matter of fact, it's, uh, it's old. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. But the part I'd like to tell you about is found in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. Here's a bunch of people called Epicureans. Epicureans were people who followed a philosopher by the name of Epicurus. Epicurus's chief claim to fame was the fact that he did not believe that you were answerable to any judge, that you didn't have to fess up for your lives. Uh, his idea was eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And as a result of his lack of being a God believer, there were people who followed him. Now today, we don't call them Epicureans anymore. We still got them, but they're not called Epicureans. Now they call themselves humanists. A humanist is the person who believes uh, that he's the highest creature in the universe. 
Now you say, I'd never be like that. You might be surprised. I know of an entire family that's been in the church for years, and all of a sudden they decided they were humanist. And as a result of this, and I asked the woman about it because um, they're sort of related to me in a roundabout way. I asked this woman, I said, um, where did you get this idea of humanist? Where did that come from? She said, well, I've just learned that there's nobody in the universe bigger than I am. There's nobody bigger than I am. And I said to her, who do you pray to when, I, when your husband's sick or your kids are sick? And she said, I don't pray to anybody. I am the supreme creature of the universe. I'm bigger than anything else. Now, wouldn't you love to go through this life thinking you was the supreme answer to your prayers? That you were the one that was in charge of everything? Well, that's the person that has had God taken away from him. And it might be more common than you think that it is. Well, I got interested in humanism, and I got me a book about humanists. And this book that I got, it tells all about um, the humanists. And uh, it is um, quite interesting. I began to look through it and read around in it. And I discovered that this is the basic premise of humanism. Uh, they believe that any and all things can be explained, first of all, by one of two ways. By your experience... They call it intelligent inquiry. By your experience are from the experience of others. And I got to thinking about that. I thought, I wonder, I wonder if we can uh, prove God by one of those ways. Uh, I got to thinking, uh, can I prove God by my experience? Well, I begin to think about it already, and I've done it enough here to, this evening. Uh, I've mentioned the term God several times. Uh, we talked about God this morning. Now, how did I learn about God? Well, I had to use this. By the ex my experiences. Have I ever personally experienced God? That is, have I ever seen Him with my eyes or heard Him with my ears or touched Him with my hand? Or in any physical way, have I ever perceived God? No, I haven't. I cannot say that I ever experienced Him that way. The second way is by the experiences of others. Now, it is your experiences and the experiences of others and you put these things together and that's the way that we know everything we know. Now, I got to thinking, how can I illustrate that? Well, I thought of a way. Suppose when I was a little boy, I never was a little boy, but uh, you get the idea. Back when I was real young, suppose I'd had no, no uh, concept of fire and uh, there's an open fire and I walk over and stick my finger in the fire. Would you have to say, Joe, watch out, you're going to burn yourself? No, you wouldn't have to say that. In a split second, I know what fire is. I know it's bad. I know I don't want to stand there with my finger in the fire. But you know what? There's another way I could have learned the same thing. If my mom or my daddy or anybody else for that matter could have explained to me, now that fire right there will hurt you bad. You don't want to have anything to do with that. And you could have convinced me of that. I could have learned about fire without having to stick my finger in it. Now you see how that works? Now let's go back to our example. I'm talking about God here this evening. How do I know about God? I've already told you I haven't experienced Him personally, but I still know about Him. I learned about God by the experiences of others. I believe that there have been people who have heard the voice of God in their ears. I believe there's been at least one person who saw the backside of God. I believe there have been a multitude of people who watched the miraculous wonders of God. 
You see, somebody has experienced God. That's the way I learned about it. So the humanist could take his own rules and talk himself out of this idea that he could get rid of God if he wants to. You know, there's other ways when I get to thinking about this, uh, this idea of intelligent inquiry, and I like to look at this much better. The Bible says in Psalms 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Listen, folks. You ought to be able to get out here uh, on the side of one of these hills on a good dark night and look out into heaven and see the silver heads of the, of the uh, stars driven like nails into heaven's dome. You ought to be able to see the moon come up or the sun come up and recognize by the firmament God is. You ought to be able to see uh, with these beautiful flowers out here by the side of the road. You ought to be able to look at them and see God. If you're still having trouble, that little baby uh, that you hold from time to time or you get to look at, look in their face. You look in a baby's face, you ought to see God. This is something which God has declared himself unto us until we find out there's no excuse for being an atheist, none whatsoever. The Bible says in Psalms 14 verse 1, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They are done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. What about this idea right here? Well, the devil would like as his devices to take God away from you. And I'll assure you, he'll do all he possibly can to do that. Here's the conclusion of this. He wants you to be an atheist. An atheist. And I find that this is something that a lot of people have bitten into because they apparently have not used the senses that God has given them. And they wind up without God. As a result of that, we find that's one of the vices that causes people to be lost. There's plenty of scriptures in the Bible which allow you to understand this. And it is something, and I'm going to read in Romans, uh, the first chapter, beginning of verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest, that means made real, in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood with the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. What is this over? It has no excuse not to believe in God. He has revealed himself in such a way that we should be able to see him. That's one of the vices of the devil. Let's look at another one while we're doing this and see what else we can find. You may not have heard of this one. I, put, I hope that puts you on high alert. Preacher ever tells you you've never, you probably hadn't heard of this. That's when you need to perk up because there's not much of that going around. But I got one right here. Uh, there's nothing else the devil wants to do. He wants to keep you in debt. Have you heard that? Uh, you probably haven't heard that. At least most people I ask haven't heard it because the devil's not let this out. And we think that this is something which is all right. One of the best ways to prevent you from doing what you should is to keep you broke. And that's a conspiracy the devil has used since almost the beginning of time. Y'all remember when Israel was in Egyptian bondage? And God talked to, talked to, told Moses and Aaron, go in there and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You remember Pharaoh began to make um, various types of concessions to try to keep Israel in bondage. And one of them was a hang-up. Moses said, we're all leaving. Children, everybody's leaving. And Pharaoh told him, well, go ahead. Go out in the wilderness. Go as far as you want to. That was a hang-up. Take the kids and the women with you. That was a hang-up. 
But he said, let your flocks and your herds be stayed. What is that? I'll keep your flocks and your herds here in Egypt. What's that going to do? Well, let's suppose that Israel go out in the wilderness, go out, goes out in the wilderness. They get way out in the wilderness where they wanted to be. They take the kids and the women and, and everybody else to sacrifice to God. But now they have nothing to sacrifice. You see what a sly snare that was? They've left all that in Egypt. They can't sacrifice to God because they have no sacrifice. You know, the devil does the very same thing in our day and time. And he does it in a very sly way again. He keeps us from having anything to use for the Lord. I don't know why it happens to be like this. Something happens once in a while. And maybe I wasn't very well acquainted with. And it'll be a short time till it happens again. About four years ago, I was in California. And after the services were over, I'm standing back at the back door where I like to get. And there's a man and his wife and two or three little kids, and they're hanging back. And you know what I knew? I knew they wanted to talk about something. So I just stayed there till everybody cleared out. And they came up to me, and the woman was a spokesman. She says, we got a problem. We got a bad problem. Said, you know, uh, we understand we're supposed to give back to God a portion of that which He's blessed us with, but we don't have anything to give. Woe is us. And I looked at her and I said, "Um, Don't you have a job? Yeah. I looked at him. I said, Don't you have a job? Yeah. I said, Why don't y'all have anything to give? And she piped up and said, We have 12. Credit cards maxed out to the limit. Twelve credit cards. And we don't have anything to give. Now, you think I'm sympathetic with that? I'm not a bit sympathetic with that. I, I told her, and the older I get, the longer I've experienced these things, the faster the, uh, the answer comes. The answer came almost immediately. I can tell you, I said, what you can do about that? And she's just clamoring over herself to find out what I was going to tell her. And I said, here's what you do. You make up your mind that you ought to do something about this. And the first thing you do is, out of your, what you get for your paycheck and what he gets for his, number one, give God his. Now, folks, that's the right answer. But I could look at her and I could see she couldn't believe that. How could she be 12 credit cards in debt and I'm telling her to give God his part? That was something she just couldn't imagine. That's exactly the right answer. And I said, take the rest of it and spread it around on your debt. You know, the Bible teaches that very thing. I didn't dream this up myself. The Bible says in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Give the Lord His right off the top and He'll help you with the rest of it. And I could see that they weren't going to do that. You know why they weren't going to do it? They just broke. The devil had them by the dollar sign and uh, she wasn't going to let it go. Same year, I was holding a meeting and after his first services, this man comes by with a bunch of kids and wife and when he went out the door, he said, see you next Sunday. I said, hold it. I said, you know, we're having a meeting every night this week. And he got a hangdog look and he said, we don't have enough money to buy gas. I don't know what he thought I was going to do. 
we don't have enough money to buy gas. You know what I thought? No, no, no. We don't have enough money to be guy. Woe is us. What are we going to do? Well, I guess we'll play some video games. I guess we might uh, get on the internet or the cable television. Uh, we might uh, get our cell phone and call Hong Kong or some interesting place like that. But we don't have enough money to buy gas. How come? You can't buy every tinker toy and every, trigger, uh, every little thing comes by and have enough money. Uh, they were completely saturated in the things of this old world. No, they don't have enough money. Whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? They're not concerned about it enough to recognize that they need to make a somewhere in their life for the Lord to do something like they're supposed to be doing. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to say a word right now. Now, this is not a nasty word. But I'll guarantee you there's people here that have never heard it. I'm going to say it anyway because I want you to know what it is. The word is anticipation. <laughs> you know what that means? Anticipation. Uh, we don't let our children anticipate anything, Mom and Daddy. You know, we got them a tricycle before they can lift their head off the pillow. We got them a bicycle before they can stand up and walk. We got them a car before they can drive. They never get to anticipate anything. And that is a crying shame. It truly is. You're robbing them of some of the best parts of their life. I want to tell you a story, true by, you, by the way, about myself. One year, I was walking down Main Street in Ada, Oklahoma. At that time, the only businesses in town were up and down Main Street. And I'm getting down to about the end, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant about it, because the biggest store down at the end of the street was an old Tasco store. Oklahoma Tire and Supply Company. Now, we didn't have Walmart, and we didn't have any of those type stores, but we had Otasco. And you know what they had? They had great big old windows in the front of the store. You know what those big windows were for? Window shopping. I'm sorry, I keep bringing up stuff you don't know about. Uh, you'd look through the windows. And I was going by Otasco, and I knew better. But I walked over, and I stuck my nose up against the glass, and right there, I'm talking about just a glass between me and it, was the one item I thought I needed to make my life complete. I mean, it's right there. And I looked at it, and got grease all over the window off my nose, walking around and trying to see it from every angle. And then I did the next bad thing. You know, it's kind of like Psalms 1, don't stop, don't look, and don't stop, and... Well, that's why I was doing all the wrong things. I went inside. Now that's bad, bad. And the manager saw me. And here he came. And before this is all over, me and that manager are going to be buds. Uh, we got to be real good friends. And he come up to me and said, can I show you something? Now I was about 14 years old then. He said, can I show you what you want to look at? I said, no, 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 no. I guess so. Let me see it. And he reached in there and got it. Now let me tell you something if you haven't done any trading. If you see somebody that wants something you're trying to sell and they pick it up and hold it like a baby, it's a done deal. And I'm standing there holding this item. And it came to me 
this is not good for me. I told the manager, I said, this, I don't have this much money. I, I can't buy this. And I handed it back to him. And he's, he really was a nice guy. He said, start saving your money. Said, save your money. Said, uh, it won't take you long. You'll have enough money before you know it. And I thought, really, really? He said, yeah, I'll go to saving your money. So I did. I went to saving my birthday money, my pecan picking up money, my hay hauling money, every nickel and dime I could get a hold of, I began to pile it up. And you know what? Just in a matter of a few months, I did have it. I had the money. I got the money in my hand, and I go back down to Otasco. And the manager, he saw me, and he come back and said, you got the money, don't you? I said, I sure do. I got it. I got every penny I'm supposed to have to get that item. And then the funniest feeling come over me. I'm talking a strange feeling. I have got the money right here. And I looked at the guy and I said, I'm sorry. I've changed my mind. And he said, that's okay. I went out the door and I went hopping off down the street, happy as a lark. And later on, when I got to thinking about that, what was so good about that? The good part was the anticipation. I got the money, and now having the item is not such a big deal. I've saved my money, my very own money, and I could have bought it if I'd have wanted to. The anticipation. That's what it was. That's what made this such a good thing. The devil doesn't want you to go through that. He wants to make whatever you get an instant gratification. You just grab the card and wipe it across the machine and take it home like that's the end of it. Don't ever think that's the end of it. It's coming back to see you someday soon. But you know what? I found out that this little experience that I went through was really good for me. Because I learned that there's more to it than just having it. Uh, is there any Trekkies here? Some of y'all don't even know what a Trekkie is, do you? Well, here's something. I'm not a Trekkie really myself. But I read this a while back. It says, and this is a quote from Mr. Spock in Star Trek. After a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. It's not logical, but it's often true. The having is better than the, or the wanting is better than the having, Mr. Spock said. And you know, that is true. And that's something that all of us need to learn. What's ruined us, and, and I say this is the snare of the devil, is credit cards. If you've got a credit card that's out of control, you know what you need to do? You need to tear that up and pitch it in the fire and don't get you another one. There are people who cannot control credit cards. I saw a woman one day on a talk show on the TV and she's standing there before the whole world and she's posturing. She's doing this. Come to find out she owed almost $100,000 on credit cards. And you know what she's saying? If them card people hadn't meant for the, me to use these, they shouldn't have sent them to me. Huh. They shouldn't have sent them to her if they didn't want her to use them. I can't imagine that, but there's a lot of people that way. You know what that is? The devil has got you in his snare. And that is a conspiracy. And that's something you need to avoid at all costs. You don't need to think about your own condition. Aren't these credit card people nice? You know, I get a little envelope every so often. It's got 
three checks in it. Yeah, they sent it just out to me. And these three checks are written out for $100 each. And you know, all I have to do is just sign them. Last time I got one of those little packets, I signed all three checks, $100. And I took it downtown. And I was happy, happy, happy. Do you believe that? You know, I got them three checks and I looked at them and I thought, this is awful. I tore them up as little as I could with my fingers and then I dropped them in the trash and hoped they'd burn up because I didn't want somebody else to be happy, happy, happy at my expense. But that's the way the devil works, you see. And we look at things like this and we think, here it is. Here's the snare. We have a brother in the church that writes a little church paper and uh, I, he had an article in it a while back, and I called him and said, can I use your article? He said, sure, if that'll help anybody, you just go ahead and use it. And he said that he ran a little short, and he needed a little extra money, so he borrowed some money on his credit card. He borrowed $1,450. He said he paid the minimum on that for a year. Uh, by the time he got through paying it, he'd paid $95. Let's see, 95 from 1450 uh, How much is that? Well, you might be surprised. Now, you accountants and people that are crafty with numbers, maybe you can explain this. At the end of the year, he owed $1,491. If you're not acquainted with that, welcome to the world of 21% interest. That's where we were. And he went ahead and figured on it. He figured it would take him seven years to pay off this credit or this loan he'd gotten. And by the end of seven years, he will have paid $2,688. As far as I'm concerned, that's a crime. You borrow $1,450 before you get it paid, it's going to cost you $2,688. You think that's not real? I dare say there's somebody here in that snare. And that's what you need to get loose from. I find the devil, that's no accident, that he's got you around the neck. And I find this is something he does because as long as he's got you broke, you can't do much for the Lord's cause. And that's what he likes. Um, I'd like to suggest this. You parents, grandparents that have little children, teach them to give a portion of whatever they have back to the Lord. Now, after they get old enough to begin to make their own money, tell them you expect them to give. You want them to give a portion of what the Lord has blessed them with. Teach them that. That's a good habit. And that's something that you want to get your children in that sort of a habit. And then as they get older and they begin to make their own money, they learn to contribute back to the Lord a portion which they've been blessed with. This is something, I don't know exactly how you teach this to everybody, but I'm going to give you an example. At Ada... <coughs> We did have a little man there who had Down syndrome. Uh, you know, those are the nicest little people there ever was. And this guy had a three-piece suit he liked to put on with his tie. And he'd lived longer than they thought he would already. And <clears throat> he'd come to church and he loved to sing and he'd set up toward the front. And he just got into it. And he would always give when the basket come around. And one day I was sitting uh, after the services, I was back at the door, and here he come, and I could tell he was puffed up and pushed out of shape. And he got to me and he said, Joe, 
they didn't pass the basket to me this morning. I said, they didn't. No, they didn't. And he said, I'm mad. I said, well, you don't need to be mad. I said, we can take care of that. I said, you give me whatever you want to contribute, and I'll see that it gets in the treasury of the church. So here's what he does. He has a dime and a quarter. A dime and a quarter. He handed that to me very carefully and told me to put it in the church, which I did. There was a brother standing there after he moved out of the way, this young man that would contribute. He said, did you take his money? I said, I sure did. And I dare say he gave more than anybody here this morning. That's all he had. Quarter and a dime, bless his heart. And I think that's a spirit and an attitude that we all ought to have. All that he has, he gives it to the Lord. My daddy used to tell me and my brother, don't buy things you can't pay for. Now I know there's certain things to buy a house or buy a car or something big like that. We have to borrow money sometimes. But be very careful about spending your money for little trinkets that you uh, either will never use or has no value. Don't spend your money before you get it. That's the trap right there. It is something that the devil has worked it out. And it is something that many people received about one year. I was holding a meeting out in West Texas. And I got slipped up on. I was riding church services every night with this man and his wife. And I sat in the back seat. One night his daddy went with us. His daddy was an old guy who come through the depression and all that. And we're sitting there. And the, the son said, uh, what do you think about giving? Now, that was the bait right there, and I didn't know it at the time. And I said, well, I think everybody needs to give back to the Lord a portion of that which he's been blessed with. I said, under the Old Testament, they were required to give 10%. I don't see how there can be any less than that for us, and probably be more would be better. The old man blew up gasket. He's sitting there, and he said, well, I'll tell you something. said, you should have grown up with me. Said, when I grew up, said, we have trouble getting beans on the table. And he's chewing on me like a dog. And I couldn't get loose and couldn't get a breath. Uh, you ought to grow it up with me. And finally he took a breath and said, I said, I'll tell you something. I believe if you to give back to the Lord what you should have, you'd have more beans on the table. Now, I didn't feel good about it at the time. I do now. Because that's right. And his son told me later, said, I, I'm sorry. He said, I knew dad never gave anything to church, even now. And I just wanted you to say something. Now, you see, he had forgotten that he had a responsibility to return back to the Lord a portion of that which the Lord had blessed him with. Listen to this. If you don't know this verse, you need to know this verse. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor... And the borrower is servant to the lender. How do you like working for the bank? Out there every morning working hard, and you're just working for the lender? That's no good. Last of all for this evening, something, one other thing I'd like for you as a device of the devil. The, de the devil wants you to envy the world. Envy the world. You know, David had trouble with this. 
David envy the world. I want to turn over to Psalm 73 and read a little bit about David's problems because I think it sets the scene for us. In Psalm 73, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were, well, were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no uh, bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. They're corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out of them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Now here's what David said. I looked at the world... And they're prospering. They're prospering. There's no concerns about death with the world. No bans in their death. He said they have no troubles like we do. They are violent. They're violent, he says. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They got everything they could want to eat. They're corrupt. They say anything they want to about anybody. He says bad things happen to good people. A full cup is wrung out of us, but the world prospers. Now I'm going to add a little more here in my own. Look at the world, everybody. They drink. They use drugs. They party. They enjoy premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, perversion of all type. Aren't they having a good time? Now right here I have a, always an illustration and as long as I've been preaching I've never run out of an example. Never. My example for this and I have people tell me I'd love to be a country western star. I'd love to be a movie star. I'd like to really. Well my example now is Whitney Houston. When I first became aware of Whitney Houston she was a teenage beautiful young black girl who could sing like nobody else. She quickly rose to the top of her career. Everybody is bowing and scraping with Whitney Houston. She's got the world by the tail with a downhill pull. She's enjoying everything. And bless her heart, she was at a gathering to get some more trophies and some more honors and she was so drunk or so high, she couldn't even hold her head up out of her bathwater, and she drowned. Having a real good time, isn't she? I think that's a tragedy. Uh, it is something which ought to be a lesson for us. Is that what you want? Is that something you think would be so great? You know, I find the devil still lures people into situations like that. And I'm going to give you an example. And I'm sorry if I apologize for this. Uh, I have to use a beer commercial because it's the most obvious. You paid any attention to a beer commercial? If you notice the men in a beer commercial are young men. 
They're buffed up. They got muscles on their muscles. Uh, they're having such a good time. They're laughing and singing and drinking beer. You know what the insinuation is for you? Maybe if you drank some beer, you'd be handsome and buffed up. Uh, maybe some of those young pretty girls that are there to pay you some attention. That's the idea. The women, have you ever paid any attention to the women? The women are beautiful. They're young. They're as uh, feisty as they can be. They're having a good time. Uh, what are they doing? They're drinking beer. And the insinuation is, again, for you young ladies, you know, maybe if you get out there and drink some beer and, and scantily dress yourself, maybe some of these young men would pay some attention to you. That's the whole idea. This particular beer commercial that I was looking at, they used to say that they had the finest product of the brewer's art. That was their watchword. And these beautiful people sold it for them. Now I want to ask you something. Why didn't they have in these beer commercials some pot-bellied, snuff-dipping, raggedy, unshaven man? Why didn't they have him there? Why didn't they have some uh, skaggy, stringy-haired, snaggletooth old woman in the beer commercial? You don't want to think you'll be snaggy-toothed and stringy-haired, do you, if you drink beer? That's why they don't. You don't want to think that they see you as a pot-bellied, raggedy old man, do you? No, that's why they don't have those people. The finest product of the brewer's art. I'm going to tell you what it is. They don't mention the real product of the brewer's art. The product is bloody wrecks and mangled young bodies because someone was driving drunk. There are tears of anguish cried by fathers and mothers at the loss of their sons and daughters. Uh, there are people who lived and wasted their lives to the slavery of drugs and alcohol. They don't talk about the anxious days and sleepless nights, not knowing if they've contracted some uncurable disease that will cause them to die young, rack death. They don't talk about babies having babies because someone is out having a little fun. Uh, they don't talk about the lifetime of guilt brought on by the killing of your own flesh and, and blood in an abortion. They don't talk about young girls and boys that sell their bodies for more drugs to momentarily quench the addiction that is going to require more and more. They don't talk about babies uh, uh, addicted to drugs because of the sins of their mothers. They don't talk about homes that are wrecked by divorce due to the violation of the vows. Somebody out having a little fun in adultery. They don't talk about that. Now, folks, that is the product of the brewer's art. And I, I read this the other day, and I don't want to forget this. There is a high price on living a low life. High price. Somebody told me once upon a time, you know, the Christian life is hard. It's hard to be a Christian. If that's what you think, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. Let me tell you what will happen right here in, in Columbia, Missouri in the morning. There were people who will wake up at not knowing what they did last night. They won't know if they were high and drunk where maybe they were partied to killing someone. 
uh, they won't know uh, if it is something that they're going to have to live with the rest of their lives. They don't know if they're going to have a baby by some man. They don't even know his first name. There will be people wake up worried about that tomorrow because they're having such a great time. You don't know what hard it is till you begin to understand how the world lives. And who would want to live in a situation like that? Uh, this is something that you and I need to, to find. Let's see what David did. I wouldn't want to leave this off. Uh, again, Psalm 73. I'm going to start over at verse 17. He says, Until I went up into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Talking about the world. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou cantest them down into destruction. How are they brought under desolation? As in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream. When one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou, th thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Do you ever have a dream? Most of us have. And when you first woke up out of that dream, you had to take just a second or two to think about if it was real or not. Was this really real? How would you like a life like that? How would you like to have a life that one day you're snatched out of your dream and it's real? That's going to happen to untold thousands of people. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continued with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward to receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my proportion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all of them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near unto God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all of his works. What is David's conclusion? It's good for me to draw near unto God. So it is for us. That's good for us. And that's the only answer to the type of life that you want to have. May I remind you as I, as I draw this to an end, the devil constantly upgrades his devices. They constantly stay up with whatever's going on in the world. So what do we have to do? We dare not be ignorant of them. We don't want to be caught off guard. Because if we do so, he'll catch us too. I'm ready to close for this evening. Is there anybody here that's not a Christian?